What is up, Asymmetry? How y'all doing? Hey, just a quick note before we start on this podcast, I will not be a demonstrator at the Trophy in 2024. Got some crossed wires, some dates that got moved due to COVID, and uh, I wish everybody the best. I hope everybody has a great time, a safe event, and Christian and Luke and the Belgian Boneside crew, uh, I can't wait to come join you guys again. But uh, Mariah will not be seeing everybody and all of your smiling faces at the 2024 trophy. So onward and upwards, I wish you all the best. Now today, we get to unveil a podcast that we've been keeping in our back pocket ever since we visited the Poulian Olives as a team back in January. And the entire trip was orchestrated by this phenomenal uh, individual that kind of fell into our lives at Mirai, Melissa Dodo, is uh, an Italian, um, what can I say, producer, connector, uh, incredible artist, bonsai practitioner, and just a really wonderful liaison of the situation in Puglia, connecting us with scientists, with anthropologists, and really helping us to understand the cultural components that make these olives and Italian culture such a, a fascination and an intriguing case study. Anyways, Melissa has a phenomenal understanding of Italian history and uh, filled in a lot of the gaps of some of the things that we may have missed or things that we needed to know to really fully understand and embrace this project in the Puglian olives. So the fact that we've withheld it means this is going to be referring back to January and our time spent in the olives, but it couldn't be more important to be releasing this right now because over the next two weeks, three weeks, we're going to be releasing two more podcasts that catch you up on our recent visit to Puglia, the expansion of Xylella, and to inform you and let you know how you can take part, how you can be a, a help, and how we can contribute to hopefully finding a remedy to this pathogen that's eradicating these incredibly historic trees. If you want to donate and help us out, go to bonesimerai.com in the upper right corner, click the donate button, and you'll learn all about the Olive Project in Puglia. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Melissa Dodo. All roads lead to Mariah, I think. Isn't that what you guys say in Italy? All roads lead to, <laughs> All roads lead to Mariah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> to that's Ro- nice. To Rome. That's a new motto, you know. Uh, yeah, that's a new motto, you know. We'll put that on a t-shirt. I like it. If we weren't hiding in the woods, I would uh, totally embrace that. Uh, but we are certainly hiding in the woods. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're incognito out here. Until Google, until Google, oh, really? until until Google Earth came about, they found us. <laughs> they found us. <laughs> we tried. We tried to stay under the radar. Uh, have you recovered? Mm. Yeah. Have you recovered from the olive trip? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. From the olive trees, Yes. But uh, last week I got a flu. Just a couple of days, uh-huh. and then we went to Rome. It was kind of an expected trip, but yeah, I just got back. Oh, you went to Rome again. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Rome is just here, you know. It's less than two hours from here. Uh. So uh, we wanted to show my daughter the Coliseum. I was just speaking to Ara before. Gotcha. So we went to the Coliseum, a couple of sculpture, you know, the Michelangelo that you have to see in a couple of days. Come on, Ara. And then to the Roman forums, the Pantheon. Yeah, that was nice. She walked a lot. She was, oh, my God, Bobby, how, how much you're making walking. But, yeah, right. that was nice. Oh, that's good it to know. It was funny. Yeah, it was a nice place. 
Yeah. That's, that's good to know. That's good to know that your daughter uh, responds the same way to walking that my son does. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Because we were like walking through yeah. Rome, and I was like, "Can you believe this?" And he was like, "Yeah, no, Dad, great, awesome. I love Rome. How much more are we gonna walk?" Yeah. Can we get a taxi back to yeah, the hotel? Same. <laughs> Totally same reaction of my daughter, yeah. But, you know, Rome is difficult to walk by because of the San Pietrini, you know, the squared, um, how can I say it? The things there are, Rome is shaped on. Yeah. Yeah, the stone, you call it San Pietrini. There's a roundly, like an egg, shaped like an egg, yeah. so it's difficult to walk on that. Yeah, so probably, I don't know, maybe. But yeah, doing like 10 kilometers on the San Petrini and 10 kilometers on sand is totally different. So I've continued to think about something uh, that you said on the trip since getting home. And it was that the Romans could have lived anywhere else in the world and they chose Rome as like this Garden of Eden, idyllic weather, nature... And I was really, I was really, uh, became more informed by our conversations, particularly in the car on the way down to Puglia, talking about Rome and Greece and like this like culture that Italy is built upon. Cause I think you made the mm-hmm. statement like the only people who truly identify as Romans now are, are people that actually live in Rome, but like the culture of Italy in the modern society. Well, you know, I, I cannot really say that just, mm, the only people who can feel these immediate links to the ancient Rome are the people living in Rome. But definitely when you are in Rome, you feel the link. Because you you see it every day. And even if you don't go to where there are the ruins or some archaeological site, you will see that amazing imprint they had on history. In not just in Rome, but well, in Rome, of course, you cannot miss it because uh, it's intermingled even with modern architectures. You see, like modern buildings where they use, um, you know, part of the ancient columns as steps. So it's impossible not to feel this. It's entangled in our culture. So I, I cannot really feel Rome because I've never lived in Rome. I studied. Roman culture, of course, but uh, when you go there, it's um, it's almost immediate. You find okay, there are two two thousand years of histories that separate us, truly. But it's what I see it every day when I go there, and you see it now with a purpose, because the marble the Romans used just like for pavements, that have been used. To, later on for churches so it's the same marble over there so this city is like a vortex of history and emotions and everything that is it attached like with mates you find um greek mates um in the roman culture as well but you see them every day in the sculptures mm-hmm. so you can touch it you cannot feel roman because you know we have have the 2000 years of history so many things happened like michelangelo michelangelo is not roman but he was from tuscany but he found the place to flourish in rome and you know it's multi-layered but um it's pervasive throughout uh, all europe this yeah 
Huh. You know, like um, the olives, we've discovered they were like, um, how can I say, um, initiated there uh, uh, to be cultivated in Puglia, but Van Hoog painted at least 14 or 15, now I don't remember, paintings about olives, rose, not because he went to Puglia, but you know, these things are um, spread all over Europe, not just Italy. Now, now, coming back to the olives, because that was our whole purpose for being there, you had said, or what we came to find being in Puglia, looking at these ancient olives, which I had always assumed were mm. were Roman planted, and you said, actually, no, the Mesapi uh, people brought them over from Albania initially and planted them in Puglia. Do I understand that correctly? Well, uh, Albania now was a Greek colony. Mesapi coming from um, a Greek, well, Mesapi were the first try kind of say people that were there with other two groups. And then it came this, um, then it became a colony from Greek, okay, Greek colony from the area of Sparta. But it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it, it was really connected, these two areas. It wasn't isolated because it's just a few hours of navigation and you are there. Mm -hmm. So Puglia is uh, in a place where it has been established as the main route for com com commerce and navigation through Romans, but it was there already before Romans. So yeah, the Mesapi got there and established kind of a their place over there and they grafted their forest olives. There's also there's this myth of the Mesapi shepherds um, that mock the nymphs, the pan nymphs, and they continue to do that. So the nymphs have to um, transform them into wild olive tree. So you know it's this is of course it's a Greek legend, but it talks about the Mesapi. And so it's more complex and multi-layered than uh, a kind of um, a mind map we can have about what happened. Everything is intermingled yeah. over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's super fascinating because we function in the United States on such like a defined like this is when the Revolutionary War happened, and this is when the United States started as a country, and this is when the Civil War happened, and this is when the states World were unified. War, yeah, World War One, World War Two. Absolutely, you know, it's just so yeah. it's so defined that to think like, yeah, the you know the Greeks informed, and we got Sparta, and we got Athens, and then they informed the Mediterranean region, and then the Mesapi, and they came, and and the they mocked the you know, myth of that's Pan. The way and, Therefore, Pan turned them into olives, and then the Romans came, and they said, <laughs> hey, Mesapi, do you want to be a part of, you know, Rome? Because we're not going to, like, oppress you. You can just join our group. And they were like, that sounds pretty good. And then all of a sudden, like, the olives <laughs> well, were being you used, know, you know? You can see history as um, a mere sequence of events, but we know that it's, history is not that. We in, in order to understand more from history, we have to know the history of mentality, what motivated people, what people were afraid of, what they were happy about it. So 
we have to use different tools than just a mere scheduling or of things of fact that happens. And myth, of course, it's not in a direct relationship with facts, of course not. Myth, that, myth does not explain the reality. Like nobody today would think that the Amazons really existed, right? But they tell us how afraid the people in Rome were, for, were about uh, strong women women that do not uh, um, wanted to settle with maternity and just be what the myth is telling us. And um, with myths, we can really understand uh, this multi-layer and the strata of culture that were over there. So with the trees, we can understand how the olives were important. The olives were, were um, was a, a, a gift from a goddess. So this will tell you what they were thinking when they see the olive groves in the ancient Greece. So yeah, they grafted, they selected um, better cultivars, but when an ancient Roman or Greek saw um, uh, an olive, they, that was a gift from a god. And this, today, we cannot say, okay, that is not important. That was important, was that massive, was super important. Because that will explain more than just saying, well, you know, this, this ancient civilization got colonized and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's more profound. It's more ingrained in the European culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so even to try and understand it in that way is to be a little bit disrespectful of how significant sort of the history and story and mythology is. Is that what you're saying as like a cultural thing? Um, yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. You can have... Um, more uh, for from watching these things from a perspective that is not so um, aseptic as history. Mm-hmm. When you know why the ancient Rome, the ancient Romans, in the heart of their city, planted an olive, a vine, and a figs, and when you know that, you can understand more their culture. Same as well for the Greeks than just uh, saying, okay, they were colonized and grafted. Well, um, they were complex cultures, okay, multi-layered. And so um, I think that uh, an interdisciplinary approach would help us to understand more of them in fully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we did for the olives, you know, mm-hmm. we, we just ask uh, um, different people from different uh, perspectives to explain uh, the things. Were you? We, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Were you? Were you surprised by, um, you know, each person that we talked to about the olives? Were you surprised by their responses and sort of the inner the 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 cultural components that were kind of reflected, or the the lack of cultural components? I mean, because we talked well, to scientists, we talked to anthropologists, we talked to farmer. You know, it's like we talked to a lot of people. Uh, about the olives, mm. were you surprised? Uh, no, no, I wasn't surprised. I um, since the very beginning of the, this project, it was pretty clear to me how um, it was uh, complex to understand this um, collaboration between men 
and nature because when we study the olive growth this is paramount the collaboration is not something far away over there you find a how can I say, a multi-millennial history of collaboration. So, of course, you need an interdisciplinary approach. And the collab we had with Marognoletti, Maria Saponari, Giovanni Malacarne, or Vincenzo Pisitilli, and this, um, yeah, interdisciplinary approach, the serendipitous nature of this uh, authentic uh, Join of course, that, yeah, that was mesmerized me. How in just a few days we gather so much, mm-hmm. yeah, and especially because all of these came in out just of a passion for bonsai. Yeah, you know? yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Honestly, so it, 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 it came out. Yeah, it came is, out just like that. How else would you know about all that stuff? Yeah, you olive do, oil. You got to do bonsai. Balsamic vinegar. That's right. <laughs> Dip in the bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. No, I wasn't uh, surprised about um, that generosity in sharing. Um, I was very pleased by that. I was very happy. What I you? was, uh, I was struck by, um, and I guess like this is where I found uh, some capacity to relate i was really struck by how each one of them were super focused on their individual uh endeavors and fields of study which naturally if you're going to become an expert you do have to focus but how much more complex the story of each of their perspectives gets when you have the other perspectives of the other individuals that we talk to Right. Because it was like through the comparison of the information combined with sort of the the context of the individual where they were at, what part of, you know, their field of study, the olives fit into that you started to filter mm-hmm. out their responses to things. And some of those things were specific to where they were immediately living or referencing their information from Um you know, when we went all the way down to the tip of the heel and, and we really saw the epicenter of Xylella being addressed by, um, what what was that gentleman's name that's working on all of that down there? Giovanni Malacarmi. Yeah, Giovanni. I mean, that was really something to see what he was doing and Maria functioning in her own sphere um, as as a science researcher who really has to put all of her research through the paces before she comes to you know, a solid understanding or outcome that she can then vocalize and and write papers about and make it public. You know, Giovanni's like, hey, we need solutions now. He's got the boots on the ground. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I, I, yeah, I want... Yeah, boots on the ground. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah and he had a perspective oh, about... and tell me what to do, but yeah. Yeah, and he had a perspective of xylella and the handling of xylella as a product of regional behavior as a project of farming beliefs as a as a product of you know so many different things and then the people you know when we talk to the gentleman at the mazaria and he's saying listen biological farming biological farming biological farming and we're like you know you you just saw this like very rich stew of information of this is a political conversation this is a cultural conversation this is a generational conversation this is a scientific conversation economical, economical conversation economical, yeah cultural and, yeah and so going and back the shift and and the change that we need to have to continue to have the olive growth yeah what they what they will entail 
Mm-hmm. Well, and going, and I mean, just just sort of going back to saying this is a a millennial collaboration of man and tree, you know, human and tree, getting to this point. And I don't know if there were times in the past where the olives were as compromised as they are now, but I I, I would tend to believe outside of warfare, which could have potentially compromised the olives, there probably hasn't been. Um, such a complex issue around the olives uh, to this point in history. And I'm not saying warfare is not complex, but I would think that this is probably, and maybe we just want to sort of sensationalize what we're experiencing now, but I wonder if the olives have had to weather pathogens and contagion. And I would believe, I, I would tend to believe that they haven't because I think globalization. Yeah, I, I, well, uh, I'm no expert in that, but uh, if I have to bet, I would say they had to. Well, we are talking about centuries, millennia. So thinking that they did not have to fight like a pathogens, well, you know, I, I wouldn't bet on that. But uh, but yeah. But one of the big conversations that was continually brought up, which is a it's a term that I I honestly don't use as a reference very often, probably because I am more or less isolated in North America. But the term globalization was a big continual theme that I heard from people when asking, why is this happening? You know, like, how have things been to date? Why is this happening? It was like globalization was the was the phrase that explained everything. And I and and maybe that's true. You know, or maybe you're right. Maybe this is another one of, you know, over thousands of years another one of many pathogens that have challenged the olives uh, yeah i will i will see like that yeah i will tend to see like um it's not the end for olives it's just another pivotal moment for them we are talking about millennial so many 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 things happen throughout this amazing time so this is just another moment for them yeah. Well, luckily they can graft, and so this collaboration can be fruitful. But it's it's not the end. I mean, so olives are still there. People are grafting. People have to graft over there, so this olive can can go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So- but probably globalization. Um, boosted and made the, this problem probably. Um, in, in I don't know, well, it probably would have happened maybe in 200 years, I don't know. Well, it happened now because this is when it happened, but Zalela is not coming out from the moon. As Maria was saying, In uh, she studied Zalela in Fresno because in the U.S. you already have it. So it was just a matter of years, you know, a pathogens that's um, dangerous, that has found like a big monoculture place to flourish Mm -hmm. so well i'm not saying it was doom or it it had to happen i'm not saying uh, these things um, about destiny but it happened Mm -hmm. so it could have happened maybe in 40 years while it happened Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i think this is just to me it's just a process okay well Mm -hmm. but i think like you know from what we've been studying and this is why we went to the olives from what we've been studying of ancient trees, which which 
you know, just by complete serendipity, we happen to live in in a place where there's a lot of ancient trees in North America, especially in the Western United States, where there's, uh, you know, aridity and there's uh, a seasonality to things that allows, uh, you know, creates the rich ground up upon which ancient trees have existed. And the whole world would have this uh, to an extent if it hadn't been, you know, domesticated but for whatever reason, they've been maintained here, probably because of the landmass as an occupied landmass. Although, you know, historically with a lot of different populations of people and whatnot, when it hit the point where climate was stable enough to support the beginning of trees that had the physiological structure and capacity to achieve great age, all of those things, that confluence, you know, when you look at a bristlecone that's, you know, over 5,000 years old, you look at a giant sequoia that's over 3,000 years old, you look at a redwood that's over 2,000 years old, and you start to look at these things, it's like they've had to certainly weather fires and they've had to weather storms and they've had to weather drought and heat and, and all of these things, you know, but I don't, I don't necessarily know that they have had to weather these foreign pathogens and these foreign um, insects and these foreign components Mm. that are as much a product susceptibility is a product of of you know a change in the environment too rapid of a change for a tree of that age to adapt potentially um as well as a major major influence of of sort of mobility across the world you know whether that is uh soils moving plant material moving pallets that are shipping sure. goods i mean that's really where mm. um you know, the Asian longhorn beetle coming over to the United States and, and shipping pallets and, and really eradicating a lot of uh, native forests over here. And that's this is just, I was really struck by the term globalization when we were there because it was something that, that clearly was a, was a um, if not a valid reason or potential explanation of how xylella occurred, it was certainly one that people dealing with and trying to cope with the unfortunate circumstances of losing such a identity-based tree uh, from a long-term yeah, well, cultural... It was like how they coped with it, right? Globalization. It was, it was the fault of people outside of this region uh, or things happening in a modernizing world. And you and I talked about this with Italy. It is interesting to yeah, see yeah. Italy as a culture struggling with modernization versus holding on to a culture that is so beautiful and artfully lived on a daily basis, you know, that it's like maybe they, maybe Italians choose that over trying to keep up in the modern pace of society. And that takes us full circle back to the Romans who prioritized happiness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, you have to deal with the globalization. You cannot create kind of an enclave and living on the on the past. Of course not. I remember Vincenzo when we met him, he was always saying, "Well, of course I fear that in the nursery around my place they will take some uh, pathogens that will kill all my growths." So it's it's a constant fear. But you basically um, cannot say no to that. You have to build your own skill to um, avoid that bad things might happen. I mean, just trying to find a solution to that. But you cannot build up a wall and say, okay, I just close up and whatever. You, you just cannot. So that is not a realistic solution. So 
mm, yeah, globalization, it, it has been bad because of Sailala. But of course, we cannot <laughs> start in a discussion. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, but you cannot start a discussion about a globalization in this. This, is, this just happened, okay? So we just have to find a solution. And we have here at stakes so many olives you've seen yeah. going to uh, that place how many we had it's not just one olive there or one olive they're all scattered mm. we have millions of olives from since intelligence well for, for um, I don't know how they were old but they were very very old and they were all in a very small area and there were many <laughs> millions so I don't know. I don't know if they already faced something before or Zylella was just the very first big problem they had to face. Yeah. I had no idea. But I will bet not, mm-hmm. actually. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, solution is on, on the way, hopefully. Maybe, maybe I think it's really interesting, the relationship with man, and hearing you guys talk about this last part, that the olives clearly have as a cultivated plant for thousands of years and you think about like uh the american chestnut and the chestnut and the blight that happened here in the united states and we didn't really have the knowledge methodology you know maybe science to be able to find a solution and and put that in place but you know as a whole science and man we've progressed enough that we're able to actually find a solution to to xylella and test and figure out cultivars that are specific to that are resistant etc and it's like that relationship with man is continuing and it's like we we were out of place you know uh chronologically to be able to handle that or you know the italians are handling that um you know I it's just a continuation it, of this relationship mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i would see it exactly like this it's, it's a process it's just a process we are not um uh I, personally i won't see these as uh, as kind of uh like a stop of these um, important cultural things that we have, like the olive grows. It's just something that happened. We have to find a solution to deal with that. But we need to still keep in these um, ancient trees alive. So science is doing their best things. And in doing that, we'll know more about the olives, no more about the cultivars, no more about the environment and the ecosystems over there. Because we get there to know more about Zalala, but in the end we have to know more about the climate change because of the, um, uh, the, the drought that is over there in Puglia at the moment. So we can find a nice um, cultivar that is pest resistance or resistant to Zalela, but has also to be resistant to drought over there. So it's the problem is getting bigger and bigger and multi-layered. That's why I'm saying it's just a process of knowing that I, I think I um, we had over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I In think... In being there, I mean. And, and, and I think like the most discouraging thing to me... Discouraging? Uh, discouraging discouraging thing to me is is the multi, is, is the multitude of variables the multitude of variables mm-hmm. which is where you're saying hey listen don't try to focus too much don't try to focus too much on trying to like outline or identify or classify or segregate things that are happening but it's like 
you know, the multitude of factors that are influencing and informing the perspective of the information of how to save the olives, the multitude of factors that are informing and influencing the the process now is as complex as the issue that is actually in you know impacting the olives and that yeah, yeah. that is where mm-hmm. i found uh the the biggest challenge in trying to like wrap my mind around what is happening here and it continues to be the biggest challenge to wrap our minds around what's happening to all ancient trees right now in in this you know current and modern era of things um and the thing that gave me hope uh, actually was seeing the the Roman ruins because when we were at the uh, the forum and we were walking around the, I, I don't know if you saw this when you were there with your daughter recently but the drawings that were illustrating different periods of time and a perspective mm-hmm. that you were looking at and there was like a an uh, a written um, description of you know when this was and how the artist interpreted this rendering and seeing that these things that we were looking at were not necessarily cherished in every single portion of their time in life over the course of history and in fact for quite a while were buried and kind of treated as barns and you know they used them as makeshift living facilities it's like these ancient ruins that like defined humanity have been a lot of different things over the past several thousand yeah. years yeah yeah, right? yeah. Did, did you see did you uh, you get into the Colosseum, right i've been did there before we didn't it do it this time but yeah before i have okay but you see that there was a church inside of the Colosseum. I don't remember exactly when it was built anyway, um, because, you know, there was the ancient Roman, then the barbaric invasions, and then the Christianity in full bloom. So the churches it took the place of many temples, and of course, why not even in the Colosseum? So that is just part of the time. So it's not, it's not something uh, like, ended at that time we see the coliseum as it was today again so it's just process nothing totally changed the end ended at the moment it's just history is just a process and that's why i think for the olives as well this is a problem we'll find a solution we'll go on mm. hmm. like like the ruins you saw in uh, in Rome, you've seen that so many pieces of marbles are missing in the forum, right? But they're not missing because they just disappeared. They have been stolen to build churches and to build monuments. So the very same marbles, you will see it in a different shape or in a different um, um, area or with a different concept. <laughs> but it's still there. Hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. Reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when you think about when you think about the amount of energy that had to be spent to build Rome. I mean, when you're looking at like structures. when you're looking at the Egyptian, yeah. the Egyptian like whatever the rose quartz or rose granite from Egypt that built the columns of this, you know, one of a gajillion monumental ancient historical buildings, and you're like, yeah, that's a lot of rock to bring over here from Egypt. You know, how how many ships and how many uh, people and how much time it took to build that place. And then it's like, well, yeah, now it's all here. I mean, let's just keep, re, you know, let's mm-hmm. just keep reusing it. It's <laughs> yeah. like, what? This would look yeah, great yeah, in a church. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I could see yeah, this yeah, being yeah. really positive. <laughs> but, but it's like... Um, 
yeah, like thinking about Rome being built uh, as a sort of I I idolizing Greece and and Roman culture really referencing Greek culture to create that and it's like well gosh how badass were the Greeks oh geez yeah I mean where did that where did they get their inspiration from where did the Greeks get their inspiration from I have no idea but you know it was just thinking about Greece like the um how important they were like for think about just Athens and Sparta how different they were and yet so similar they had the same god the same language and they lived almost in the very same area yet so 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 different and um when you see their ability to be um well their ability in philosophy come on that that tells you everything and in art so that tells a lot of course the romans when got there were mesmerized and they said well let's take something from here let's incorporate that culture in in our Mm-hmm. So, and they started to incorporate it in so many layers for arts, for philosophy, politics, some political view as well. And then they um, kind of found their way to, to deal with this uh, culture. The Roman, then they had the Romans. Like when you see the um, ancient uh, sculpture, especially from the Athens area, you will find these amazing sculptures of uh, gods or anyway people. But there is a subtle differences between these one and the Romans. For the Greek, they were more erratic, more elegant, more distant from the viewers. But when you see the sculptures that the Romans made, trying to mimic in the Greek one, you will see more like the character of the people so of course they use the same technique the same kind of attitude in seeing things but not in showing so you see differences but that's just because they incorporate it all very well and definitely they embrace that culture That's a uh, that's a beautiful description of how no matter how hard anybody tries, they're never going to be able to actually duplicate Japanese bonsai. Oh, interesting. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like it's really? not the same. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. I mean, you just basically you just basically outlined it. Uh, the 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 Romans were trying to mimic Greeks Greek sculpture, yet it's different. There's an intangible, there's an intangible and undeniable in influence of your experiences in the culture and the environment that you're surrounded with that it it it, it prevents you from being able to do that. You know, like if if it's a if it is processing through the human mind, then it is going to take strong. And you're saying, listen, if if you're trying to replicate something exactly, even then you can't. Because it still has to take different turns through your mind before it comes out your hand, right? You're coming from a different place, so you're you're used to different things. The light, what what you see every day, of course, cannot be the same. So of course, you're influenced by others. You can try to mimic it, but you cannot be that. Yeah. So better so- to find a new way. I mean, it's okay. Okay, you're coming from that school. But I think that it's just natural, 
not to be the same. You cannot be the same. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is the whole this is the whole reason that you know we just sort of cut the tether at Mirai to not that we don't practice the traditional form, but like we just cut the tether at Mirai to trying to make Japanese bonsai. We we can't. It's not possible. You know. I think in, I think in Italy. Well, well that's, <clears throat> that's a choice. That's, that's a choice. That's a deliberate choice. No, no, because, that's what I'm saying. Know, mimicking, it's not, unless the Romans were deliberately well, trying was, to show a different perspective. But you're aware of this because other people are just trying to mimic because you know people like Japanese bonsai, so people are trying to mimicking it, mm -hmm. yeah, and but, but they can't. maybe in really embrace them, the the their cultural roots and what does it means to come from a different place, like uh, with with different trees, like we have cypresses, okay, the, the type of cypresses that we have does not exist in Japan as far as I know, so. Um, embracing this will allow you to explore more possibilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and I'm just saying the Romans, <laughs> if the Romans tried to mimic the Greeks, is a perfect metaphor <laughs> for, you know, anybody trying to mimic any other art form. It's yeah. always going to have your imprint. It's always going to have your imprint. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful, I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful realization when people finally realize that, you know, which is reinforced over time throughout art. When you finally realize that it, it allows you to accept, uh, a, a different direction. It allows you to, to think in a different way. It allows you to embrace what is authentic to yourself in this thing that's reflecting you, which is, you know, this is mm -hmm. art. Art is a, is a representation. It's a, it's a reflection. Absolutely. Of time, yeah, of yeah, culture, yeah, of experience, you know, for sure. And so I, I think that's where bonsai has, has so historically been practiced as a craft, which is to say, you know, if you're trying to mimic and duplicate something, this is, this is a craft. If you're seeking perfection in that, it's, it really is a craft. It's like when you start to embrace a different, uh, language or representation or realization of the expression of self through the medium, now it be, starts to become an art. That's my feeling about it. And it's it's cool to hear you saying this about sculpture from the Greek to Roman uh, period of time because obviously the Romans were not the Greeks, you know, and so it became something different. And, and thank goodness it did. Look at what was created. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And where they created the, all this sculpture. Now you see the Roman sculptures in museums, with a, and it's it's terrible because you see this dusty patina of these white marble statues in the museums, but they were originally places in gardens. And it's there that you can see the interactions of Romans with, uh, with art. And it was for people. So when you see, and probably you've seen in the uh, Roman Forum, the statues of Vesta, uh, the Roman goddess, um, with these uh, peplum, peplum, the Roman dresses. And uh, you see it with um, like uh, roses over there, or with a lizard that is running through this um, these sculpture. You see how they were. Exactly, not like uh, in in a dusty music delight with these softly sensual Roman lights, and there you understand how great it was over there. When you see the statues 
where they were meant to be. Yeah, interesting. Didn't you say that the statues were painted? That they weren't white marble, that they were painted? Did you hear that? I didn't hear that. You didn't hear her say that? This blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ancient statues uh, were not just white marble. That's uh, how the um, Renaissance thought it was. But originally, they were painted. And the Renaissance that basically became in Florence or there, they decided to not really mimicking, but to get back to that original art. And so you, f- you find these amazing sculptures that um, sculpted marble, white marble, originally thinking, oh, yeah, that might be like the Romans and the Greeks did it, but it wasn't. So while well, they built something amazing, of course, like the David of Michelangelo uh, or the Moses or the, the Mercy from uh, Michelangelo as well. I'm a huge fan of him. So. <laughs> and anyway, they tried to mimic that style, but they didn't and they create something different again. Mm. So that, that's really interesting. Yeah. Never ends. It never ends. But, you know, sculptures in Greece and Rome were, were not something like today you contemplate this. Oh, that art is interesting. They well, kind of um, something like every day you can understand you know, well, not you cannot understand, but you can get closer to the gods by even uh, looking at their sculptures. So the relationship between imageries and the ancients were different than we can imagine today. It's not just something we look and say, oh, that muscle is a very nice place. No, it was different. That's why in Rome, you will see uh, that the statues are more even just the statues and also the paintings you will find a better um, painting and sculpture of natures like with vines they're almost painted like a person who loved that vines like a person who know every single phases of a sprout mm-hmm. vines vines were an, a sacred trees to the Romans, because if you drink, you can connect to gods. It's not just because you drink and you're happy or you sell it. It's more profound for the figs as well, because um, the figs are beautiful trees to paint and to sculpt. You will see many leaves of figs in the columns in Rome, but they were not just figs because they were nice. Figs was a sacred tree. For Romans, because the divine twins, Romulus and Remus, um, you know, they were put in a basket by her, their mother, and this basket on the river, kind of Moses things, okay, just to give you an idea, the, the basket stopped on the roots of a figs, so the figs have these uh, divine twins to allow the build of an empire. So figs is the leaves of the figs you will see in the sculpture is not just because they were nice. There's a reason for that. And Romans, ancient Romans, when watching at this, they knew that. So, you know, it's always telling a story and the Romans know that. How much, how much of uh, common knowledge are these myths in, in sort of modern Italy now? Like, I mean, you speak about them I, as we were driving. I, <laughs> we drove like eight hours, right, from where we were in Pistoia all the way down to Apulia. And 
you you talked about a lot of myths. I mean, you you know a lot about this. Is that a field of your study, or is this common knowledge in Italian culture now? You know, I'm nice stories. Well, I I I tell the Greek and Roman myths to my daughter because they're come on, they are nice stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're these great. Are nice they're stories. fantastic. In, in, yeah, these are just these are just great. And in Italy and in Europe, um, it's part of our curriculum to study the, um, you know, the Iliad at least. Mm-hmm. So we get in contact with this culture. Then depends of how much you like it, and then you get in deep. But it's part of the curricul- national curriculum, even in the in the UK or France, to study the Iliad. So, yeah, it's pretty common. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I'm not saying that everybody can tell you these things, but uh, the Iliad, it's the book. Okay, there's everything over there. There's war, there's love, there's honor, there's just everything over there. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I'm a huge fan, so yes, you can understand. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I mean, like, the, the your ability to describe... Uh, Italy from north to south and relate to every depth of the culture is why I wanted to talk to you again on the podcast because it was almost, it was a little too much to digest. I mean, obviously it's very complex. It's like way too much to digest in a single visit, but like we we were drinking from a fire hose for the entire time that we were in Italy because we were just experiencing not just Italian culture, but that we were there seeking information about these ancient trees. And I don't think that I've ever realized how close of a proximity to nature that Italian culture, Roman culture, Greek culture had. You know, I mean, like when you look at when you look at Japanese culture, I mean, Japanese culture is is based around a connection to nature. Uh, and I think when I think as North Americans, I think there is, you know, a certain type of individual that finds, you know, the national park system and our wild places to be like our greatest attribute as a as a as a nation. Uh, but but in Europe, you know, it's so much more fluid, like the identity of culture to all of the components. And I think I have historically assumed that the identity to culture and these components was based around the human connection to the built environment. I hadn't realized how close of a proximity Italian culture had to nature or Roman culture or Greek culture had to nature because I think as a as a culture that doesn't have that longevity of architecture I always assumed it was it was that the culture was contained in uh, the proximity to this architecture and this built antiquity not to a relationship with the elements of the natural environment and I found it to be I thought it was I mean I found it to be really surprising when I was listening to your stories and the discussions of how integrated the all of the grape, the fig, and all of these components of of nature were, how integrated they were into the culture of the Romans and and the Italians, we are, you know, we are used to see nature because probably this relationship that it's lasted since the very beginning. So so far, it's it has been pervasive for us we we do not have kind of a narrative that um 
other have like the wild and then the people so we are just here we don't have a wild space we are just living near groves near vines near near nature so you cannot get lost here just to give you an idea so here you cannot we get talked about lost. that can you, you get can lost in italy like, and it's like no <laughs> yeah you can yeah yeah, yeah. You, you remember we 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 talk when we were we there you cannot get lost come uh-huh. on you, you you can try but you cannot so you can <laughs> we cannot have this narrative of figuring out like um there is something like us the human and then the nature so it's it's just the same we we don't have it so um getting back to what you were saying before the method is um uh collaboration we have with nature is, is something so pervasive even you know like think about well yeah think about um the opera okay um in the opera in music uh, the most famous, um, like I, I think, just Debussy or Handel, they had to deal with myths because they are just, first of all, they are beautiful. Okay, they are beautiful stories. They tell something more than just the myth. Um, and then, not just everybody knows it, but kind of they are part of our, our, our culture. So why not put in music a beautiful myth like uh, the one of uh, uh, the poor girl like syringe getting almost raped by Pan? So, you know, it's, it's something that we already know. And if we do not know yet, well, it's easy to find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all kinds of realizations uh, during this last trip. <laughs> really, really. Um, but that's why we went. This is what this is what was so beautiful about it, because the the olives as an ancient tree have something that that nobody that that no other ancient tree has, as far as a direct mm. correlation to prolonged dependent cultivated contact with human beings it was great it was great to get to these depths i don't think we could have ever gotten to this depth of understanding without you though i i I think like you you (laughs) magically sort of fell into our lives with this project and (laughs) and it was like and it was like we were we were doing our very best with a subject matter that honestly we're not we're not equipped to understand as as foreigners, we can bring a different perspective to viewing the the olives. Well, but that is also that is that is um, that is the, the important thing about what you're doing because you can have a fresh perspective on that. And what I really like um, about is exactly this view, your your point of view. Like I was talking to Josh um, when he was here about that. This. Um, um, the ability that you have from your um, background, not of European cultural one, but um, a background in bonsai, in trees and these things, um, will of course enlarge the view um, that you, we can possibly all have about all this. Because, you know, we just coming out about this, talking about all this, out of passion for bonsai. Mm-hmm. 
So that's and that's an interesting perspective that raises lots of thoughts and even questions, you know, because when I got back from Puglia, of course, I was like, oh, oh my God, this interaction between man and nature. Uh, well, is, isn't that what we're doing with bonsai? So what is the potential of this? What are the, the, the ethics that we can understand and implement? You know, so many um, questions that came out um, just out of uh, thinking everything started from Bosai. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I do. Does I know. This is my life. I mean, you know, like I didn't care about ancient trees. And honestly, like I didn't know about the olives in Puglia. And I didn't, I didn't know about any of this stuff before bonsai. I think that's the beauty of bonsai is it is it is such like a peep. It's like a peephole, you know. It's like a it's like a doorknob. It's like you turn it and you go into this other space of looking at things through this very odd. I think it's a very odd lens, you know. Like we have this relationship with a tree, which is different than a lot of other people's relationships with trees because we're so intimately engaged in a stylistic collaboration of cultivation. You know, it's like science and art, and then all of a sudden you start thinking about it on a deeper perspective of culture and and all of these things, and it's like, oh wow, this gets this gets to be to be really really interesting. And I think it is a different perspective. I think this is the perspective that we've found through all of the Mariah in the Wild projects is that we just have a little bit of a different relationship with the quote unquote tree. You know, like this, what I think in modern culture is probably yeah. taking on a little bit more consideration as a, a potential uh, sentient being, potentially, right? A, a thinking organism, super controversial, but yeah. but it is considered, it's being considered and contemplated now. Uh, you know, and I, I, I feel like... Um, that relationship that we have understanding that gives us a perspective about trees that that is far different than the research uh component of it, or the strictly science component or the or, or or the strictly romantic artistic component of it because it pulls all those disciplines together to try and make sense of it but in that it's just it's a murky territory of many variables oh absolutely yeah but that's because you just do not talk about the trees like uh, like I can do about the as important trees that were important from Romans. You are seeing that from a different and super fresh perspective. So you can see things that other people give or for granted or we cannot even see like the shades of these. And from the Abunsai professional perspective, that is to me is really interesting, you know, because that raises a lot of questions. Oh, yeah, like what I was saying before, like the ethics perspective of these, the things that we are doing bonsai, but that is because other people pave the, our way. So exactly as we are seeing the olive grows over there, it's just because other people tended to olive groves and they are passing through us. So uh, everything is in the process, you know, and the ability that you can have coming from another word in seeing this thing that is so specific in a way could be so interesting. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. D- had you ever thought about the olives in Puglia very hard before this project? No, 
No, no, no, no. Had you Absolutely. ever thought no, about olives being a part of Italian culture? Like, do you do you think? I mean, obviously, you eat olives. You use olive oil on everything, which you should because yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, that, that but... you know, olives are you know, yeah, that is part of my day living in here. Olives and self where there's a Lala had there's a Lala problem at a big resonance over here, and you see olives, yeah, in the Van Gogh uh, uh, paintings, in the Monet paintings, you see olives almost everywhere if you check it okay so you see in paintings you see in opera you see music you see uh, in, in, even if you think about um yeah myths and religions of course part of the crisscross with an olive wood so mm, olives for romans were not just uh, uh good to eat but it was like a, a medicine as well or something that where you can have light because you burnt olive and you have light so it, olives are a big thing here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you cannot think, okay, no, I do not know what they are. But um, now you I came back from Puglia with a different perspective, more um, uh, more enlarged, definitely, and more in tune with uh, even with bonsai. I think, yeah, yeah. seeing those groves, seeing um, how you work with that tree, mm. raised it to me so many questions mm, yeah interesting yeah, yeah so many questions yeah interesting and and um y you did you did not necessarily get to go see all of the dead olives on that trip did you 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 largely stayed in living olives living olive groves yeah or did you go see the dead yeah. ones no i didn't I didn't. Yeah. I I really I really appreciate and love your optimism that everything is going to be okay. I hope they find a solution and everything is all right. Oh, you know. Mm, because uh, I don't I, I don't I don't see myself as an optimistic person. I feel like okay. you're being very optimistic. What are your suggestions? No, I'm I don't, I I'm not saying that I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I cannot see myself as an optimistic person, but I try to be like, okay, these are the facts. Mm -hmm. And the process is to fix it. If not, we'll go on with what you have. So, you know, I'm not saying, oh, all oh, the trees will be happy and fine again. And yeah, mm -hmm. but um, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think olives are going to disappear from the world, certainly. But I think uh, Italy's uh, role in olive production and, and relationship to that tree could be certainly where we went and saw all of the all of the dead olives. That has changed the face of that landscape at the very tip of the heel dramatically. Yeah, you know, that anyway was a monoculture and the risk of monoculture in areas like these are huge so that happened yeah that happened so what to do next so having a massive cultivation of olives like in other country is a solution personally i do not like it sure. because of course that will change totally the landscape and the ecosystems so of course i would uh, personally i would prefer another type of solution that of course will need uh, for the big industry that is using you know olives and transforms it to um have a turn 
because you know if we will need to graft maybe olives that are different in taste will the people accept it mm -hmm. so we have to take responsibility of this we cannot just demand other to take choices for us and then we just say okay everything will be fine no we have to be more proactive in this proactivity means also being informed so that's why i'm saying uh um it's multi-layered mm -hmm. this fact is economical it's sociological it's even vincenzo said you know well what about i in, in my place there's no zelele because it's in the north part i cannot um plant new trees because maybe in 20 years there won't be water so we come there to no more zelela and this is the problem then climate change so it's it's huge <laughs> it's, <Yeah>. it's, <clears throat> it's it's not just zelela i think it's um a problem of responsibility a problem of getting used to things and then to yeah being proactive and do something that has to be done otherwise I don't want my grandchildren to have to deal with uh, the same problem. We have to find a solution that probably won't be the best solution for everybody. But, you know, we have to compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Find something. Mm -hmm. Tough. I, I, That's I, why I'm saying that a fresh, perspective, a fresh perspective is much needed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how fresh our perspective is because we're looking so so I at such an isolated. <laughs> no, I'm not asking you to solve the problem. Oh no, I'm not. I don't have a solution because because the more that I look at it, the more complex I realize it is, and the olives only made it worse, not better. <laughs> you know, there were so many things taken from that trip, though, and looking at the ancient olives being informed so much by uh this this constant inner commingled existence with human beings being pruned being harvested being cultivated uh it was really interesting to see them have similar forms to trees in north america that are 3000 4000 5000 years old that have only been informed by the natural environments elements and influences you know like to see the olives carry a similar aesthetic to a bristlecone pine or a, or a giant sequoia yeah, is I, to me it was to me it was crazy when we were in the I don't remember probably it was in the second growth that we visited uh, and those trees looked kind of wild even if they are tended since like you know 300 400 years but they seem wild somehow olive trees have even if tended and in groves for so many years they still look wild and ancient mm -hmm, mm -hmm. have this experience well yeah and i mean even if they're completely and totally uh tended to in ways that you know try and preserve them to the highest degree they still through that continual interaction with uh, with human beings, ultimately look quote unquote wild, right? They ultimately look yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that, that I yeah, still haven't. That's, that's what I was trying to convey. Yeah, they <clears throat> still look wild somehow. Yeah, somehow I don't know why, but uh, I don't know if it was for the bark or some 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 it, with some trees the barks looked like lace. And yeah, and that light, of course, conveyed that uh, kind of uh, image to me. But yeah, they look wild, even if tended since 
the beginning of I don't know the the era the, this the, the, I don't know like three four hundred years ago. My favorite my favorite olives were the ones in the red dirt that looked that were right by the ocean. Oh, those were great. That was my favorite. Oh yeah, grove. I love that. Too. That was my favorite grove, hands yeah. down. It wasn't even a grove. Yeah. It was like a few sparse yeah, olives, absolutely. scattered singles, scattered scattered. The colors. Do you remember the colors? Do you remember the colors and the light? These silvery green leaves, uh, and then you see the sea, and then it comes sunset, and everything was kind of more orangey. Yeah, yeah, that was so good. That was that was yeah, that, that was, that was so good. It's oh. interesting the time and the cultivation that went into everything, and I'm sure the early motivations were like, hey, we're trying to produce fruit, but there's also the evolution of how everybody there, I think, is also appreciating the beauty of all these forms and these trees. And of course, like, there's tourism around that part now too, which is strange to think. I mean, we have that here yeah. where trees are famous or there's a famous grove or something, but uh, the evolution of the olives and man's input on that through that entire time, starting out as a, you know, we need to feed people, we need to cultivate olives, etc., And then now it's like, everyone just appreciates the form too which is which is really kind of kind of exciting maybe maybe yeah 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 in puglia yeah in puglia yeah Mm -mm. maybe even maybe even the form but as vincenzo was saying oh sorry go on no i mean maybe even the form you know it's like why be worried why be worried about the ancient olives like why are people worried about it you know it's like that the, the 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 value the value that's built into that aesthetic of age is like it's like ingrained in our dna like there's really no reason to want to save the ancient olives you just plant resistant varieties grow them young you know build them quickly and and you're right back up to probably even a more efficient fruit production ultimately and this is this is the cultural in ingrainedness of this tree that was so fascinating to me is there's not a monetary reason to care about ancient olives it's more than that now. It's more than that. It's generation upon generation of tending to these old trees that has that has built there is a relationship. There is a relationship that is maybe the closest proximity to bonsai we can have in a large tree yeah, environment like with a discussion of time and of, you know, the investment and what is built in that relationship with these two living organisms, human beings and a tree engaging. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also interesting how people describe these trees as kind of, yeah, beautiful because they are definitely, but it's probably the same way as um, bonsai enthusiasts will describe beautiful another tree using the very same words. So how this would relate, uh, yeah, that, that is interesting to me because it's, it explains how, yeah, we are prone to look at trees in an aesthetic way. Uh, of course, it's in different situation, yeah, but yeah. This is, um, the, and, and this is where like talking with ecologists about the giant sequoias and they're like, yeah, no, this grove is interesting. And it's like, yeah, but what about that tree right there? That tree is like mm-hmm. really interesting. And they're that like, branch. yeah, it's, it's a good tree. That's a good tree. But the grove is interesting. It's like everybody has their field of perspective. And that was, <sighs> that was the exhausting, infuriating, frustrating, confusing, mystical and significant importance of the olives that we went to document. And I think I walked away maybe more confused. Mm. Then I went 
<laughs> you know, yeah. knowing less, yeah, I, I, I was able to. I came out of this with so many questions. Well, with totally. more yeah, questions than the questions. when I just got the, yeah, so many. So it, many. it was actually but, e- but, easier yeah, but, having less knowledge and just making a, a a snap judgment about the olives than going and learning all of this and being like, oh my gosh, <laughs> my braid is going to yeah. blow up. <laughs> Holy cow. You read a few articles before yeah, you yeah, go, try to get mentally prepared, and then you go there and get exposed to it all, and you go, ah, it's how, more complex. How underdone is every piece of writing yeah. about the olives and xylella? How not representative is every piece of information that you've ever read or seen about it. It was so not... Just scratching the surface. Ah, it, was, it, was, it was so yeah, superficial. Com- compared to yeah. what we did in that time and, and, and the information that we downloaded in a week of just dedicated, hardcore, diligent research and experience. <laughs> hardcore, yes. I mean, it was With like... and mud. Uh, there was no, there's no written documentation <laughs> that even That's does scary. justice to it. It's, it, was, it was fantastic. It's like, this is also the Mariah in the Wild spirit is just like, go... Dive in. Dive in. Go deep. Get deep into the circumstances and the situation and, and see what comes out of it. And and the the cert, I mean like my understanding of Italian culture is expanded in terms of my understanding of its complexity, but my clarity of the complexity is far more muddy now and less clear than it's ever been, than it's ever been because it's like yeah. oh yeah okay I see this is not something to be, like you said this is about process this is not something to be quantified and I think the olives are well, yeah, the same well, thing. Well, you know, well you 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 use the very same words that I descri- that I use when I describe my approach to bonsai. You know, you know every every time that I know a little bit more, I just said, okay, this is just a scratch. Come on, there there's more to this. And every time, oh my god, I kind of been overwhelmed because there's a lot to know more. And when you just tackle into something, you're just in at the beginning. Yes, it's a process, as you always say that. So. This is a theme yeah. for you, though. This is a theme for you. These endeavors that you take on, whether it's your dedication to yoga or bonsai or the way in which you've dove you know, into mm. mythology and, you know, like the, the subject matter of all. It's like this is kind of how you roll. You specifically, Melissa, yeah, well, this is know, how I'm, Melissa I'm is. doing yoga since. <laughs> well, you know, I'm doing yoga since more than like 20 years. and um, of course, I'm still learning. It, after 20 years of dedication daily in, uh, yeah, not just the asana, but the philosophy and embedding it. And yeah, you're just, you really need time to know things because it's not just something that you can learn. It's something that you can learn at the right time. So it's, yeah, it really takes time. But I can read so many things about uh, bonsai or olives at the moment, but in things and not just attach things in my brain. I really need to feel, and to feel, it's like reading um, a good book. Uh, when you're twenty, is something. When you're thirty, is another thing. When you're thirty, mm. you can maybe feel things different. I'm not saying this is the only way or this is better than the 20s but even this recognition that when you had something before it was different than what it is now it's something that you can learn something from does it make sense oh yeah for sure yeah for sure 
for mm-hmm. sure. It's uh, so, it, it, it's uh, discouraging. Well, you know, to me, why? Because I want to know, Melissa. Because I want to know if is it better in the twenties yeah, or the thirties or the forties or the fifties. I want to know what the best is. I want to know. I want. I want mm-hmm. answers. I want answers that are definitive. And unfortunately, yeah, I've chosen want, to do something that has no end, Make me has a no single definitive answer, and it continues to get more and more complex. I, I literally, in my passion for bones, I have created my own personal hell. I've created my own personal hell. We call it the vortex. Uh-huh. But your sense of beauty changed over time, not just because of the information you had, but just also uh, because the experience you had. So there's not a definitive answer. Oh, I know. So it, I know. It's a process. I know. I hate that. It's a process. I hate that. I'm free to hate that. I can hate that. Hate it? I it's can hate that. It's what, it's what actually be comfortable really, being it's what uncomfortable. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with being unsettled. Yeah, I know. Don't you want to know how to properly fertilize your bonsai trees? Don't you want that answer? Of course I yeah. know. But I love also, you know, of course. I love, I want to know it. And come on, tell me your recipe for fertilization. Tell me, Uh tell me everything about soil. Tell me everything about reporting and this person, how intimate it is and what you really need to know and feel before doing the right thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also like the process. Of course, I'm doing bonsai now. If I would have done in my 20s, would have been different. Mm -hmm. But I would have probably approached things more. more eagerly okay mm-hmm. now i want to know all the subtleties mm-hmm. i don't want just to know i don't want the rules i want to know more before i wanted to know everything by rules okay by setting the process it's different i mean but this is how i change through the times through mm-hmm. years it's fun to it make me better maybe it was better before but anyway isn't that yeah but that's that's why that's why i don't like it Maybe it was better before. When once you lose what was better before, mm-hmm. there's no going back. There's no going back in any of this. You know, like, and that that uh, it's it's fascinating to look at that in terms of an artist's body of work. Like I look at this with Mr. Kamura, and I'm like, yes, you see, you see the change of his body of work over time. I I I see the association being directly correlated because of my experience with him with his group of apprentices that he had different groups of apprentices that defined as different bodies of work and i'm guessing it was based on you know the synergy of apprentice master and his his point in time as an artist and what he was experiencing thinking learning feeling etc right but his is very he has some fairly defined transitions and i experienced one of the transitions because one of his groups of apprentices finished and another one began while I was apprenticing there. Um, and his approach to bonsai changed dramatically, like literally overnight. It, it, he, he shifted his approach entirely. And as an apprentice who was studying with mm. him during that, that was a really radical thing to experience. One day you're doing something and it's right. The next day you're doing something and it's wrong. But he made a decision. This apprentice is gone. That that portion of my work where I carried consistent knowledge for those individuals has ended. With that transition, I am now going to engage wholeheartedly and throw myself into this next approach to styling trees. And I watched that happen. But you knew why it changed. But you knew why it changed. What made him change? What convinced him that it was better to change? I don't know. I don't know. Economy, age, uh, experience. 
I don't, I'm, you know, what, what, what was this? I mean, what was the shift in Mr. Kimura from highly defined to more natural, uh, to totally wired to minimal wire? I, I don't know what that shift was. I don't know what prompted that. I just know that I experienced it. First two years was heavy wire, mm. heavy styling, major, you know, Kimbone photo shoots, this, that, and the other. And then the last four years was a lot lighter touch, a lot, a lot less. Still, still. Well, you had both. I had both, both, yeah, and, and, I, and I was can, there. Yeah. I mean, I was there, you know, when yeah. the transition happened to know how confusing, because it's not like he, he explained it. It's not like he's like, yeah, today we're going to do something yeah, different. Confusing. Yeah, he just he just yeah. did it. Yeah, but that's good. That's I mean, being confused and being curious, I think it's good. Because now, after, I, don't like it. I don't know how many years, but many years, <laughs> you can have both of them. Come on. Uh, you're, it's too much. Yeah. It's too no, much. no, it's not too much. It's you too know. much for somebody. You, you have to make a, you have to make a live when you tell us something, and then you tell us no. Now we change totally, and you do now the things, that, and you that, get to sort that. Why this is part of why I think Ryan and all of us found you so valuable on this project is that you helped Ryan get answers and feel good about <laughs> consistency <laughs> on the project. As we were all so, I needed, I needed well. an anchor. I needed something somewhere. You were an that, anchor for that, us. That like both. grounded, that grounded me. I cannot. I, you know, every individual has a nature to them, right? And some people are like water, and some people are like wind, and some people are like. I am like rock. I have realized I am like rock. I, I really need uh, to. Oh, that's interesting. I need to be anchored in in uh, a thought or a perspective or an orientation. I need some basis. I can't just float freely through the through the um, you know the, this this thought exercise. I can't float three freely through this esoteric. Uh, consideration. I've got to have an anchor somewhere. That's where the tree has become such an anchor for me just in life in general. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like it, it, it gives me a, a reference point to what I do on a daily basis, what I'm passionate about, what I mm. study, what I think about, what I look at, what motivates really? me. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. I have to have that. That's oh, just my nature. Well, to me, it's different. To me, it's to me, it's totally is is the contrary. To me, it's just another tool to explore things. I know you're like you're not, like you're like the wind. Grand, you're either like the wind granted. or you're like water. I don't know which one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. But She's yeah, to me, it's uh, doing uh-huh. bonsai. It's Certainly for this project. Me, and I'm looking at them just to have uh, yeah, kind of having another tool to explore things. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. At, at, at this phase, okay, maybe in twenty years, I will tell you, no, no, now I'm using as a, but but yeah, but to now, now to me, it's just like a trampoline to explore things, exploring me, doing new things or learning new things, and um, but yeah, it's well, in not your part, anchoring me down, definitely. But, but you're part of a culture explore, exploring in perpetuity. I mean, you're, you're, you're part of millennial, uh, uh, several millennia of exploration and you accept, and you know, is this a cultural built in? Is this, I I feel like most Italians accept us. They're like, yeah, no, it's see that building over there. It's old. See this one over here. It's old too. Uh, my grandma makes, (laughs) you know, I, I, I live off my grandma's recipes, which were her grandma's recipes, which were her grandma's recipes. 
and we grow our own food, which my grandma grew, my great grandma grew, my great, you know, grandpa grew. And it's just like, it's just like this existence in perpetuity. This is, this is, this is something we don't necessarily have here. And it, and it, and it all, it all mixes together to form these perspectives. I think it's why bonsai is so cool because it, it, it allows that to be mm. reflected in this, like in this anchor, in this time capsule, in this living organism that embodies that input. Yeah, and this time capsule. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I ba- it's badass. It. it gives me a grasp on the world. It, it trees give me a grasp on the world. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like this perspective. This perspective. Yeah, yeah, I do definitely. Well, it's the perspective of a rock. I mean, you just gotta you just gotta realize that's somebody who needs <laughs> rock have, who needs to have <laughs> a be-bop. solid rooted point to you know originate from. Uh, but. Yeah. Anyways, Melissa, uh, certainly this project would not have uh, been what it was without you. Probably might not have happened without you. We were pretty ambitious. We've been been freewheeling it. We would have been freestyling and uh, absolutely what we learned and came to discover and experience was was really largely um, facilitated by you, which I call you our our liaison of the olives. Yes, <laughs> to the audience. Yeah, it's nice. Um, yeah, thank you. It yeah, has been really you. amazing for me to be part of the project. Yeah, and now and uh, seeing, you know, now it's not over for you though because Ira and Darlene are yep. turning around and I coming know. right back to hang. I know, I know. In just like uh, just a few days, oh, I know, I that's know, great. I know. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, let the good yeah. times continue. Yeah, yeah, it, it will. It will definitely. Okay. Yeah, in Florence this time. Yeah, and next time I really need to take you to Ufiti, so you get back and say, "Oh my God!" After three hours, that I got crazy, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a you've been hyping syndrome. it up. You got you got to deliver now. Oh wow, wow, she's a hype machine. We'll yeah, no, no doubt. It. I, she has yet to not deliver. Uh, I think that will be one of many trips for Mariah to Italy, uh, certainly. So I, I am looking forward to this conversation continuing, and. Uh, Certainly, if you come to the United States anytime, ever, uh, but hopefully sooner than later, we would love to have you at Mariah. 